Hi, and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. We are here in the studio. The walls are increasingly decorated with memes and animal flight pictures and, uh, I guess, sports logos. And we are here today to record. This may end up being two episodes, but based on a presentation I've been giving, I just most recently gave it to the True New North Campus Ministry Group in the Twin Cities, Law and Gospel, A Lens for Life. And we'll be talking about uh, different approaches that people take in order to be uh, righteous. Maybe not right with God, they're not always thinking, but to, to feel righteous, to feel like good people. And we're going to point out some of the weaknesses of those various approaches. Some of them may have commendable aspects. They're not necessarily bad in and of themselves, but where they fall short. And so this will be Long Gospel, A Lens for Life, perhaps Long Gospel, A Lens for Life 1, uh, depending on how long we go on that. Um, we had a big basketball game today. We're recording on Sunday. This is St. Patrick's Day. Uh, March 17th. Peter, what's, what's the color on St. Patrick's Day that people wear? It's uh, Is it blue and gold? or No, it's green. It's green. green. Mike, what, what color were you wearing today? Out of curiosity. Uh, maize. Maize and blue. <laughs> and uh, so we had the big Michigan State-Michigan game. Uh Tournament championship for the Big Ten would have been three in a row for the Wolverines, an impressive feat. Um, how many times did Michigan State and Michigan play this this year, Mike? Three times. Three times. And uh, what did they, two and one? I know State won more. What? It was three and oh. <laughs> three and oh. In the last two, Michigan had big leads. I don't know what happened to those. Um, but so Michigan well, State. I can tell you, the first game was <laughs> Izzo wind just nonstop he like coached. he does. He coached. So that the free, he advocated the free for his team like, like Christ does for us before the throne was like of the Father. Twenty eight to three or something ridiculous like that. So, okay. You know I'm how not. you get you know how you get to shoot free throws is by driving the ball and uh mm-hmm. and banging down low, not just uh hurling threes. But so that that was an exciting game. Uh we're recording an hour late. Uh Mike, you were watching that game at home. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it came right down to the wire. You must have been watching it right down until the end, huh? Until uh, maybe about five seconds left. Five seconds left. <laughs> it, uh, so we're recording today after a big Michigan State win. But as usual, the Big Ten got hosed um, in the by the selection committee. So, so far as I know, um, the Big Ten championship, uh, regular uh, season and tournament champion, I got the two seed. We have not seen you know, what Michigan got. I would hope at least a three. Uh, but Big Ten. If the selection committee was on the court while Izzo was coaching, though, they would have got a number one seed. <laughs> <laughs> Izzo said after the game uh, he didn't care if he got a one or a two. You know, it's just about going out on the court and performing, which really, end of the day, I think it's what it comes down to. All right, enough about basketball. Some of you probably don't care about that. Uh but we are part of the 1517 Podcasting Network. And Peter, why don't you tell our listeners a little mo- bit about that? You're the best at it. <laughs> you can find all of the podcasts in the network at 15, 1517.org slash podcasts. And um, I think Wade's mentioned a couple times now that uh, recently lost one podcast, not, uh, not because it was dropped or anything, but because the podcast itself ended. But you can still go back and see all of their old ep- or listen to all their old episodes. That is uh, Virtue in the Wasteland. And uh, if you enjoy, if you have enjoyed, or if you find that you do enjoy, you can find what uh, Dan and Jeff are doing uh, now. They're each starting their own projects. Yeah, I think, so. they're still working, doing doing work with fifteen seventeen as well, yep. and doing stuff on their own. And so, yeah, you can follow them. 
Is there a 11 podcast now? I'm, I think that's 11. Yeah, I guess I haven't counted recently, but every once in a while they just add one in, and I'm surprised. I'll, I'll check, and I'll get back to it if it's not 11. So. so go check out the 1517 Podcasting Network. We're very happy to be part of that. And speaking of the network, we are using, did I mention, our new headphones. This is the first time recording with our new headphone mic. So if you hear us breathing loudly, I'm like, what would that sound like, the breathing loudly you were practicing? <laughs> so, so if you hear that a lot, that is why, but we are trying them out. Uh, the Hermanson girls had used them, and they seem to work pretty well for them, so hopefully they work well for us as well. Um, we keep getting more iTunes ratings and reviews. We very much appreciate that. Last I saw, we were at 115. The goal for October was to get to 100, so we're very grateful to our listeners for that. If you're not subscribing yet, please do think about doing so. Uh, that is a, a big way of seeing if our audience is growing as well. We have seen the downloads going up. Um, subscribers has been going up, and that is all because of you who listen and share stuff. We very much appreciate it. The devotions have been almost daily. We're doing our best with that. We're very thankful to the pastors who are writing for us now. We've had a lot of good content that has come out from them. They go out by email, 4 a.m., I think, are we over 200 email subscribers for that now, yeah, Peter? Yeah, um, last, last I checked, it was just over 200. Yeah. So you can subscribe on the website if you want to receive them there. They also do get shared on social media, on Facebook and at Twitter. So think about um, if you would like to receive those. We try to keep those law gospel, solid stuff, um, gospel and heavy and textual. And so we thank everyone who is reading those. Uh, finally, we have our disclaimer, and I did not ask who's reading that. Does someone have that? Mike is going to bring our disclaimer. This show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, much of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot. So approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism, because well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you are just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. Mike, I think we should add something to the end of that one today. How about how about a Sparty on? I don't know that one. <laughs> Hello, welcome back. For our free fall today, we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, about a month and a half, maybe even two months ago, we had Valerie Locklear on. Um, it was episode 87, so if you haven't heard that episode, you can go back to letthebirdfly.com slash 87. Interesting, fascinated, fascinating lady. She's written a book called Call to Defend, and uh, she was uh, kind enough to give us a few copies. And so we decided that we were going to give away four copies of this. And... Um, the way we were going to give it away is that listeners had to email in the most cringeworthy thing that Wade has said on the podcast, and then we would read off the top four. Maybe we'll read off a couple other ones too. We'll see. Um, and then the top four, uh, will get the free book here. So, uh, Wade didn't know we were doing this. Um, and so this is all new to him. Probably even the quotes are going to be new to him that he hasn't remembered that he said those things. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> I'm just seeing Mike, this will cheer you up. I don't know what the seating is, but apparently, uh, people are complaining on Facebook that, uh, 
Michigan ended up getting the better route to the championship than State. So yeah, you know, the, I, I don't see know what they happen. got seeded as, but anyway, uh, Peter. So I haven't seen these yet, except one that was turned into a piece of art. I, um, I hadn't listened yet to that section of the the episode with Valerie, and then Peter told me just not to listen. It'd be better for me not to know. So, I uh, I do have the right to. You can deny having said some of these things, or right? you can maybe explain it if you want. To yeah, you can. You can them. deny it, and it's um, it's all on. The, I'm I'm, on the I'm willing website. to bet that he remembers <laughs> only half of them. Okay, so Peter, what is? Uh, why don't you go in uh, reverse order? Right. Number well, four. Before we get to that, there's a there's kind of a public service announcement that one of our our listeners um, and a guest actually um, sent in that I feel like just really needs to be dealt with. And this was, this was an episode that was one of the winging it uh, series on church history, the great schism or schism or however you say it. Um, But it was uh, Joel Davis, uh, one of our friends over in uh, Generac. He wrote this. He said the most cringeworthy Wade related moment of your podcast happened in winging it 70.1 church history. He says it most cringeworthy, like there's been more than one I've had. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, it's, it's implied at least, but I don't know. I mean, he didn't say that explicitly. So he said, I got extremely worked up before I had to stop, take a step back and realize that I was listening to a podcast. And then parenthetically, yes, a podcast. In the discussion of the Great Schism, Wade made two factual errors in succession that need to be addressed. First, Wade said that Leonardo, this would be of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle right. um, variety, dual-wielded nunchucks. Then he corrected himself by saying that Raphael wielded the nunchucks. No, Raphael had the spear, the pointed hand <laughs> thing. Wait, you're, you're you're ruining it here. Okay, this is this is Joel. Joel should have his his moment here, and that Michelangelo had a long stick. Um, these falsehoods need to be dispelled. The truth of the matter is that Leonardo dual wielded katanas. In the comic book, it was actually a single katana paired with a shorter. Uh, I'm not sure how to say that. Wakazashi. Michelangelo dual-wielded nunchucks, Raphael dual-wielded size, and Donatello wielded a bow staff. So I, when, when I was listening to this, I had the exact same thought. I thought, no, wait, that's all wrong. How can Mike not correct him right now? So I was happy to see that someone else got, got upset Mike, about it. Mike, can you correct me, Mike? I have no idea. <laughs> I, I want to just double-check. My recollection was the same as uh, Dr. Davis's, and I, I didn't question his, but I thought, this has to be out somewhere online. And sure enough, if you go to turtlepedia.fandom.com, you can find all your, your Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle facts. And he's absolutely correct on, uh, on his, uh, his facts. So... Let the record be corrected, and um, you know we'll we'll hopefully move on and not make a. So I, that was two similar. Ninja Turtle errors. I yeah, mean? two. Okay. Well, and you you corrected yourself with another error too. It was it was really uh, quite embarrassing for you. So, <laughs> so all right, going. <laughs> I did play the Ninja Turtles Nintendo game a lot growing up too, so I'm a little disappointed in myself. Yeah, that was that was you were right. That was right in your wheelhouse. Yeah. Uh, so Raphael was my favorite in that game too. All right, so we're gonna give. I'm gonna give. Uh, uh, a runner-up, and then we'll get to our four, our four okay. winners. Okay, we're ready. All right. So the first one comes from uh, from Paige, and she goes back to look. I gotta find my episode number here. Um, episode thirty-six. The guys get music, and uh, Wade purportedly said, "To pimp a butterfly probably isn't a great hymn title." Cring- See, I don't remember that one. Cringe, cringeworthy. To pimp a butterfly. How did I get to that? I, I don't know. That's a good question. I. I think we need to go back to I'll episode back 36 and listen. And listen. Yeah. Yeah. Do you still stand by that statement? That it'd be a bad hymn title? Yeah. yeah. I think it's a factual statement that would be a bad <laughs> hymn title, yeah. I can't, I can't disagree. And it was, it was a great, uh, that, was, that was a while back. And so, yes, thank you, Paige, 
To runner, pimp or primp? Pimp. That's what I, you I said. I have to look at why I said that. Huh. Yeah. All right. So then uh, number four, we've got Kyle. Let me see what, let me get my, my episode number. This is a winging it from church history series, part eight. It's winging it 74.2, the English act of supremacy. And Wade said, the national anthem is really not that good. Which, which Kyle said, careful, the FBI is not watching the podcast closely, which maybe explains our rise in, uh, in downloads. Yeah, I do think it's not very good. Okay. I mean, there's a, old Canada's better. The old Soviet one was better. That was the best. Like, right? if you just won, ours is, then it's everybody does their own thing with it. It's, <laughs> no, it's not the best. All right. So Wade's standing, standing by, his, uh, by his position here. Mike, what do you think about the national anthem? I do. Have, I don't know if we brought that up in that episode or not, but the the flags of the nations currently and national anthems are all like nationalistic 1800s kind of uh, imagery and sounds. And so I always found it interesting. Like there's some like, I don't know, some country in South America where you think they would have a little bit more whatever. Nope. It's just the same kind of marches that every other <laughs> European country and uh, uh, colony but do you think had. Ours is all that great. I think it's probably average. No. Yeah. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I'm all for America. I just think yeah. like you win a gold medal. There's other ones that are more intimidating. So I think because if, if the goal is intimidation or if it's just, if it's not intimidation, but you, you do it, it's always the same. Oh, Canada's good for that. I think there's going to be, and, and probably it'll be nice that some of that gets updated. Like f the American flag's not going to get updated, and I don't think it should be, and maybe not our national anthem. But I know, I want to say New Zealand was going to update their flag. And then also, I may be wrong on that, and I think Sweden was looking for a new national anthem too. So I think in the, you know in what the next be? few decades. If you wanted one have, that would actually be like. This is a good free for all. Like what would cool be. cool that you just won would be a. Kid Rock, bow de, bow, what is it, Bow did Wow, the um, Bang a Bang Wait, Diggy. Next time we have Dr. Zimma on, our free-for-all should be like, okay, if you or had to start. Or ACDC Thunder. If you, had a, if you had a new country and you had to come up with a, a national anthem, like what tune would you, because you can use, like Germany, or is it Austria's national anthem is like a. Deutsch, I mean, it's like a hymn that we sing in our hymn. Yeah, that's Germany. Yeah, right, yeah. is it Germany? Yeah. Yep. So you could change the words and stuff. So just I always the use two. that for a processional. Einish kai tun You know what? Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb too. You know what else is not a very good uh, melody for like being like a battle hymn type thing? A mighty fortress. It's a nice hymn, but it's not like they say like it's the the battle hymn of the Reformation. And I just if I were going to a battle, I don't think it'd be like do do do. Do, do, do. You know, <laughs> I think like thy strong word would be much more. There you like, go. Yeah, uh, I there's there's certain manly hymns like thy strong word. There's a um, I'm thinking of 122 in our hymnal. I can't remember right. The glorious battle, sing the glorious battle. Anyway, I'm not sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm moving glad, on. Yeah, I'm glad you glad you stuck by that one. So, number three. I stand by all of them so far. I know, so Except far. Except for yeah. the Ninja Turtles. Th this one you don't really have, you can't really defend as, as much for number three, but um, we're going to go down. It's it's coming from the, one of the same episodes here, the uh, Winging It 
70.1, which is part six of church history on the Great Schism. So this must have been a, a great episode. Yeah. We got, I'm going to go back and listen to it again. Here's, I'm just going to read this one to you because there's not a specific quote, but I felt like it really captured something that we've received comments from others at, about as well. And so I felt like, you know, this was a good way. He says, my favorite part, this is Adam, excuse me, Adam, saying, my favorite part is... Uh, Wade from episode 70.1, where Wade is obviously tired and goes on many great tangents, but repeats the phrase, what are you looking at? And Mike tries to stay cool throughout. <laughs> and he says, I laughed out loud at Wade and want to uh, and want a soundbite of him saying crazy things like this one, which might, might be a good thing. Like just little, I'd be know, okay little, with that. little yeah. sound bites of Wade. He does could... look at you funny sometimes. You've seen him do it. He kind of <laughs> stares at you. So, I mean... Adam finishes by saying, thanks for the great conversation. I feel like part of the group while listening and, you know. I like Adam. I he sounds like a good guy. Yeah. It's probably the most he's ever said about you, Wade. Well, that's so good. thank you, Adam. And uh, I feel like you touched on something there that, you know, others have probably gotten to as well. Speaking of staring at people, in church today I was getting eyeballed by this kid again and again. The uh, this little punk kid in the pew in front of me just kept eyeballing me, not even <laughs> paying attention in the service. And so uh, I made him cry. Really? Yeah. It, uh, huh. I said, what are you looking at? And the kids start tearing up. You know anything about that, Peter? Man, sounds pretty harsh, Wade. Kid I mean, doesn't just take sit, criticism very church, well. Like, it was a Gabe. Sounds it was like Gabe. Gabe's Gabe. <laughs> how, how old is Gabe now? Gabe, six months. Six months, yeah. yeah but he was staring at me the whole time. Old, old enough to know better. And it's true, he did me. cry. Yeah, he did. And then Wade tried to prove that he could just smile and say bad things to him, and he wouldn't cry, and so he started smiling and saying, talking about like murder and things, and Gabe started crying. I don't think I said murder. Well, I don't remember. It was something, it was, something not yeah, nice, like yeah. some some topic. I want to bring up murder with a baby. Then he, <laughs> but then he uh, he started crying and wait. So yeah. I guess it's just me. The the best one that we have, I think this is your top one, came with artwork, right? Yeah, but we've got one more before we get there. Oh, I'm sorry. We got number two. You ready for number two? This one comes from also from the Church History Winging It series. This was seventy nine point two. This is on the Enlightenment. We must have been on a roll there, I guess. This was uh, the Nat episode. This is it. Yeah, and that was this actually- is Mike's uh, in- insect infested. Uh, picnic table yep he this is uh dave says uh w- the, his favorite part is wade going off on the gnats this summer was a total distraction oh nice so, yeah well and that was a distraction it episode. was and we actually had another and episode I was sipping my fine perrier i brought my perrier you guys gave me a hard time about that's right so i was having my bubbly water and was just getting attacked yeah and then uh I, if, if i remember correctly we recorded another episode that night that never aired just because we just I kind of got lost in the shuffle. So. That could be. But it was, uh, in fact, let me see what that one was on. Yeah, it was Is God Who He Is or What He Does? I don't think we ever aired that one. So thank you very much, yeah, Dave. Have the Nats gotten better? Yeah. The Nats have gotten better. That's what made me think of it. Is by the, by no, the, I mean, Mike, know. have they gone away? I think so. <laughs> we'll find out soon, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, winter's turning to spring. We're going to have to start recording outside again. Uh-huh. Now with the headsets, it'll be easier, too. We oh. should just record in the quad sometime. That was a good idea. Yeah. We could we could have a microphone set up and let people come by and just sure. join in. Yeah. Okay. You ready for number one? I think I know this one because this, you said artwork. Yeah. This one uh, is the the the. There's actually two comments in this one, and uh, it's it's good on it's on its own, but it comes with with fan art that is absolutely fantastic. And if we can Where get is it, it's supposed to be in here. Yeah, I thought you put it in here. Did we not hang this it up yet? It. Oh, I bet it could. Be, there's a stack up there. We haven't hung up. That could be up there. Oh, that could be. No, but this one we'll we'll see if if uh, Holly, our artist, will uh, will give us permission to uh, to maybe put uh, links to it on our webpage or something so that people can see it. But here we go. This is from uh, episode seventy four, first or second article, Christian. And uh, here's the uh, quote that she she gives. She says, 
Dr. Johnston says, you know what tastes good on honeycomb cereal? <laughs> Roundup. <laughs> so then we have a picture of a bowl of honeycomb cereal with a hand holding a bottle of Roundup spraying on it and then the quote underneath it. And this I think this was fantastic. one that Ben was on for because yeah. uh, Ben kept saying, uh, he was not saying Roundup, he was talking about a company with a chemical because he didn't want to get sued. So, yeah. <laughs> no, and he and I think that was our B B B and Wasp episode too. Yeah. So yeah. So if that's Roundup good. were bad for you, they wouldn't sell it in stores. That that's my assumption as well. I mean, you know were, what they don't sell in stores? Heroin. This is true. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. I anyway. bet somewhere they sell it in stores, like some <laughs> some country. All right. So then there's a bonus quote that Holly gives us and a bonus artwork, and this is can from I can I add mine? Oh. Most cringeworthy is. Can I just do a finish you know all these the, first? You know what they don't sell in stores? <laughs> Heroin. They used to. Sears used to. You could order like a whole shooting up kit. Wait, that was episode ninety five, right? Yeah, episode ninety five, where Wade said, mm-hmm. "You know what they don't sell in stores? Heroin." Yeah. <laughs> so Holly also gives us a picture of uh, of a bee. It says Peter on the bottom for some reason, and then the quote is from me. It says, "Wow, it's good to be queen," which is what have been <laughs> our, our queen, our uh, B episodes. Yeah. Um, and oh, it looks like the 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 B fan art is actually from Paige. It looks like so, but we'll ask if we can get permission. If we can, you can find those at letthebirdfly.com/slash/ninety-five. You can find. I'll try to remember to put links to all of the episodes so that you can go back and uh, relive the glory the glory days and. Uh, you know, keep track of it. Maybe in the future we'll have a we'll have another such giveaway, and we'll. Uh, Notice all those episodes are well in the past, though. So I've been behaving pretty well. Yeah, I, I guess I don't know. <laughs> ninety-five is not terribly far in the past yet, but it's a ways. It's what are we on now? Ninety-five. This is ninety-five. Oh, this is ni- yeah. yeah. Oh, Mike's one. Yeah. <laughs> So thank you everyone. We had we had more entries, and thank you everyone for sending it in. If we had time, we would uh, we'd read through them all. They were all all very good. But we will get in touch with the winners shortly, and uh, get your addresses and get your copies of your book sent out to you. Thank you again for playing, and hopefully we'll be able to do something like this again in the future. Maybe not with Wade, but probably with Wade. brings us to our main topic which is law and gospel as a lens for life and i have printed off the powerpoint presentation and even nicely handwritten notes next to all the slides for each of you that is not a copy of my handwriting i wanted to do something personal for you guys um and so that you printed it before writing the notes you forgot didn't you maybe um and so what we'll be talking about a little bit is um especially law um various law approaches that people take um, towards trying to feel righteous, perhaps to be right with God, but also to to feel righteous, to feel good, um, to find some sort of peace in life, uh, to be able to uh, feel fulfilled. And so the first thing to, to talk about a little bit is, is simply anthropology. And when we're talking about anthropology in the biblical sense, we're talking about 
what does the Bible teach about human beings? What does it teach about the human race? What is a human being? And so we could look at Genesis 1, which we have done before, and we have an episode with Adam Morton. You can go back and listen to that one. Um, on Genesis 1, that's one of my favorite episodes that we have done. Adam was very helpful on that. <clears throat> but uh, especially looking at Genesis 3. Be episode 75. 75. <laughs> and uh, especially looking at Genesis 3 as Genesis 3 presents the problem. <clears throat> now, obviously, um, we read Genesis 3 uh, very literally. Our church body reads Genesis 3 very literally. But whether or not someone reads Genesis 3 literally, even if you said well, God's just trying to teach us something about people. Uh, even coming at it from that angle, the problem is still crystal clear. So whether one takes a uh, a more um, allegorical route or more literal route, the Bible, uh, it's hard to get around the fact that the Bible presents the problem facing mankind as one of original sin or a lack of something that the human race was created with at, at its outset. Um, and that we could maybe speak of as original righteousness. The mankind was whole, mankind was uh, sound, was a word that we like to use in theology, uh, was healthy, uh, was at peace with God vertically, was at peace with creation horizontally, um, and something was lost. Uh, Mike, you're not really paying attention, but there's some really fantastic hand gestures going on. Are you looking at like the you brackets? Should, you should, like, you know, keep track of. He's got these vertical things going up and down. Yeah. He's making, like, the shape of a ball. Like, he's, like, so, the world so, is in his hand. So, uh, Beto O'Rourke, Rourke, O'Rourke. Rourke, um, announced his candidacy for 2020. Uh-huh. Is it Beto? I thought it was Beto or Beto. Beto. Anyway. I think it's Beto O'Rourke. So, when he did it, he was, like, all over the place. <laughs> and then... Donald Trump like sits back when they interview him. He's like, his hand gestures are terrible or whatever. And then, which of course is ridiculous because Donald Trump's known for these really weird hand gestures. And I couldn't help but think about Wade and I. Yeah. No, that's good. So uh, not only did uh, Mike show up an hour late, but he is apparently looking up um, politicians' hand gestures on his. He needed Wi-Fi on his computer to work in the studio, and this is apparently why. Um, but to get back to uh, the topic which I had sent out uh, shoot about a week ago, and I have handwritten notes for you guys on. Um, sometimes people will think of what happened in Genesis 3 as something was added to the world, um, as in sin was added to the world. And, and that's not necessarily wrong. But really what has happened is a corruption has taken place, and evil, this, um, this problem of sin, is not something added, but it's the loss of something, right? Evil can't create um, Evil can just subtract from, uh, evil can abuse or misuse. And so it's not as though God now takes a little dash of sin and makes sure that our parents insert a little bit of that sin into each of us um, so that we're born with original sin, but we're born without something that we, uh, it is really, now that you pointed that out, I feel really constrained with my hand Just Mike, I apologize <laughs> if that's how I make you feel. And uh it's, it's that people are born with a lack of something, and philosophy wrestles with this in all sorts of ways. Um, what is it that will make people happy? What is it that will make them whole? What's the highest good? There's the idea um, in various religions and various philosophies of there's something um, to which we should try to attain. Um, there's a peace we should seek. Um, there's a lack of things that we want to... Um, 
we want to get back what we've lost. And maybe that's by avoiding bad things. So that could be by avoiding suffering. And so the Stoic is going <coughs> to try to become somewhat indifferent to suffering. Buddhism will take this route of um, avoiding things that cause suffering. But what we're really getting at is a lack of original righteousness. So Augustine famously talks about that and says we're not whole, we're not at peace until we find our, our rest in God. I believe that's in his Confessions where he talks about that. But there's a lack of original righteousness. And where I thought, Mike, if, uh, if you're listening at all, where I could throw it to you because I know you talk about it in a lot of your presentations, is really there's a loss of what we could speak of as shalom. And a lot of times we hear that word shalom, we hear that word peace, and in English, peace means, you know, there's the absence of war. Um, no one's causing conflict for me. Um, no one's making my life more difficult. But maybe if you could get, and you, you talk about human flourishing in this connection, Mike, and that's something that comes up in philosophy, obviously, a lot too as well, Peter. So maybe either of you have thoughts on that. But Genesis 3 is clear that there's been a loss of shalom as we had it um, prior to the fall into sin. Yeah, one way we could think of shalom, uh, to get from peace to what I, a more f- full meaning of that is not that difficult. When you think about peace, okay, we have a peace treaty with Canada for the, since 1812 or whatever. Um, we're not fighting anymore. I saw a Twitter debate about who won that, by the way, <laughs> the War of 1812. Um, and if the, Canada can take credit for it, because the British were on their side. Right. Um, I think Andrew Jackson's the only one who won that in that war, right? The yeah. war was over, he kept fighting, and then he gets to be president. Yeah. So. They did burn down the White House, though, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it wasn't the White House at that time. It was the executive right, mansion. But, or I mean, that's still a pretty good thing to do Yeah. I mean, from a war perspective. Yeah. It's not a good thing to do, like, do not was, burn down the White House. I'm not saying it's good. Madison was president then, right? So it was, like, Dolly Madison or his wife, Dolly, I think, like, she was, like, getting all the artwork out right, as they were coming. The mm-hmm. portrait of George Washington, I think she famously took out. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... W- they should have had a sprinkler system. As we have established, we do not have any kind of armed conflict with Canada anymore. Um, but Allegedly. peace... Yeah. Maybe there's some subversion going on we don't know about, but anyway. Um, there is a Be concept of peace, as in we're not fighting. There's also the concept of internal peace. But shalom, I think, to take the next step is peacetime versus wartime. So peacetime is not just, okay, we're not fighting a battle right now, but there is the economy is rolling. I don't have to wait in line for three hours for a piece of bread for $400, a loaf of bread for $400, that kind of thing. Um, I can send my kids. Right. That's what I'm saying. It's peacetime, not wartime. I want to pay that. No, but if you're desperate (laughs) or burning, burning your Deutschmarks just because it's cheaper to burn it, to keep your, uh, uh, your house warm instead of buying fuel, that kind of stuff. So, the easiest way to think about it is shalom is the way it's supposed to be. And sin is the way it's not supposed to be. So philosophically, then, when we talk about what does it mean to have shalom, what we mean is uh, a certain amount of prosperity, a certain amount of security. And I would also say a certain amount of freedom, right? You can't really prosper. You can't really flourish if you don't know where your next meal is going to come from, or if you're in jail, um, that kind of stuff. So shalom, the way it's supposed to be, 
sin, not the way it's supposed to be, I think is the most fundamental way to think about it. And when you see the word peace in the Old Testament, if it's a translation of shalom, uh, there should be that, that kind of uh, well-rounded understanding of that word. So sometimes that word shalom is translated as prosperity um, or a, a certain amount of security. Um, when we get into the New Testament, there's going to be the dimension of the personal peace. And so that's where we add a fourth thing. You can't really have shalom in this world if you're not at peace with God. And that really is what we're talking about here today. And that's the peace that surpasses all understanding. And and it's a thing, right? The Prince of Peace, too. So we're, we're right at, uh, at the cross and at Christ. But to your point in uh, what you're trying to get at in this in this study is that we're trying to find peace. We're trying to find some way of justifying ourselves before other people to ourselves and ultimately whether we admit it or not before God. We're, we're just not, we don't feel like we're right. And so we're always trying to justify ourselves and that's always, always ends up in a, a path of law, a righteousness by law. So to have true flourishing shalom peace has got to be has got to start with peace with God, and that is a righteousness by faith and totally giving up on all of my avenues of making myself righteous. Um, and then you find they're at peace, and that's where uh, true freedom starts. And true freedom then is going to flourish. And, and we would say that those two things are, are connected. And as you go forward, then we're not talking about, okay, I flourish because I have a lot of money. I flourish because I have a lot of uh, uh, degrees or uh, I'm flourishing because I have a big family or um, a big farm or anything like that. But something that's part of it, but it's something a little bit more fundamental, the way things are supposed to be. And, and maybe one thing we, we don't talk about enough is God does want us to flourish. It's not like he wants us to suffer. He only wants us to suffer in a theology of the cross kind of way so that we don't trust in ourselves, right? I mean, that's finally where we're going to find a meaning for suffering, um, even the most heinous of suffering, the most heinous of evil, um, because God makes all things right. When I, so one of the things you said was the, the way it's supposed to be. And I think that when we get to the account in Genesis, um, what we, <clears throat> I think we get, we get hung up oftentimes on, on the creation story, but the, in some ways, the most important part there is the account of original sin. How do we get, how, how is it that it's not how it's supposed to be, if that makes sense? And so when we're looking for the way it's supposed to be, Wade, you're talking about this lack, that there's something missing. And this is, this is this constant struggle that we find um, within humanity, whether Christian or, or Buddhist or, you know, atheist, it doesn't matter. Like there's this struggle because there's this sense of something missing. And, um, so to, to kind of go back to this question of like the way things should be, the way things are supposed to be, um, it's, it's interesting just to think of that from a more a broader perspective. Why is it that we find ourselves in a situation that feels uncomfortable, that feels like there's yeah. like it's not right? And so that's that's the message I feel like we really we can miss real easily in uh, in. The, at the first part of Genesis, if we're not if we're not paying attention to it, that drives us to the heart, and that's a message that I think connects to everybody. When they're honest with themselves, everyone feels this sense of 
lack of, you know, I want to say loss, but I don't even know that it's loss. I feel like, um, you know, in the Heideggerian sense, you're kind of thrown into the situation that you don't understand. It's not that you feel like you've necessarily lost something, but that you are miss you are missing something. Yeah. And I, th- I think, you know, you bring up Heidegger there and I think it, you see pe- the, the, I guess the, the way the trajectory of philosophy, even if you get to the existentialist and, and meaninglessness and the only meaning is what you give it, um, you know, philosophy in, the many, in many ways is debating with what's off or what, uh, as you mentioned, you know, we, we're in this situation. What does it mean? Why are we in it? Um, there's circumstances bigger than ourselves. Maybe, Peter, if you could just a little bit, if we think of the Greeks, especially early on, um, with Plato, Aristotle, uh, but you know, just the, the origins of Western philosophy in general, this notion of the highest good or human flourishing, how that factors into things. Yeah, well, <clears throat> so the, I think that what's interesting is the idea that you have um, that, there's, that there's some sort of hierarchy, and in both Aristotle and Plato you see this, and, but that, that highest then becomes good, and that's not just good in the sense that it is what is, so therefore, it, you know, we call it good. But there's some like ethical component to it, this, so that like morality gets pulled into it right away for both for both those those major thinkers and um, which is law, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you're and then the, you're right back to that question of lack, right? I mean, because if you're talking about um, ethics, how we should act, right? I mean, we're shooting all over ourselves here, right? How what should we do? What should we do? And the um, th- you're you're to this point on with with both Aristotle and Plato and in the pre-Socratics as well I think in in different ways trying to find missing pieces so that we can make it complete which is I don't know this just seems like such an interesting way to find ourselves in in uh, in this in this world do of you existence. think you know it, there's a component of shalom too of like wholeness right yep. being complete being whole or sound I, yeah. I kind of think of when I th- think of the Greek philosophers, especially early on, before you get into too much of, okay, the fighting against the sophists, you know? Yeah. Um, but their, their talks about what is the, the highest good. Um, it's a Greek attempt at shalom. Mm-hmm. And they don't, they, don't, they don't have that terminology trying to be, they, they understand that they're, we want to be complete that there is such a thing as completeness or theoretical, that there can be something where, okay, here is the ultimate, not just the ultimate good for us, but there is an ultimate good, not to be too platonic, but that there is that desire. All those things kind of point to higher being, an objective morality, uh, a benevolent God or force or whatever, that, that, or at least... An um, order or at least it could be, operate. yeah, it is an order, that, not that they wouldn't go that far, but we would, right? That. Uh, well, I mean, in Greek, the, the word for order is cosmos, right? I mean, like, that, that's kind of the whole point is that you have, you know, chaos is the opposite of, re, of, of being rational, and so order is at the center of it. I mean, it needs to make sense. It needs to be ordered, right? I mean, that's, Order's good. Yeah. yeah. And in fact, I, would, I mean, I would say that it's, it's good in, an, in, a, in a moral sense. Yeah, the, I, think, I don't think you could, any, every, anything that's objective... Um, you're not going to get, you're not going to have a discussion about objectivity very long before you start talking about morality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And morality is going to be where, you know, it ends up going inevitably. You know, Plato, 
to be fair to Plato, probably gets about as close to right on stuff as you can get without Christ. Um, you know, he gets pretty darn close. But even he recognizes that to some extent then it's being ordered, it's being aligned with what is ultimately capital G good. Um, you know, you come out of the cave, the allegory of the cave. We have to do a Plato episode again. Yeah. Still, the, the <laughs> one we did, we were not able to air. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's this, not to overdo it, but there's this general awareness that something needs to be done for us to have something, whatever we call that something, that's better than where we're at. Or, or how things are. Yeah, we're not, we're not, we're not the animals who can, who are going to, um, be okay with just saying, okay, I eat, I poop, I sleep, you maybe I have some contact, maybe I fight, Gutter humor. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, maybe I procreate, but there's a sense of wonderment. There's a sense of discovery. There's a sense of epicness. There's a sense of we want what is, we want the highest good that separates us from the rest of creation. I think that's at least part of the discussion. Right? I, yeah, I think there's this awareness. We're made, we're made for something more. Um, and I think that displays itself in, sometimes we view human beings not being content as always a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But actually, the the lack of contentment sometimes is a, a testimony to the problem, yep. right? That that we shouldn't that, settle. We shouldn't settle. Right. For that this. we're not content with. Um, I'm not going to go where Mike went with, his, you know, scatological humor, but um, <laughs> but you know that uh, you know we're we're made for more than just Netflix and pizza. Did you say eschatological or scatological? Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes more sense. Um, but uh, yeah, Peter, <laughs> I didn't mean to cut you off. You look like you were maybe going to jump in there. Um, yeah, I kind of lost. I mean. Getting the getting my head around scatological humor was was kind of yeah. rough, but um, uh, no, I I lost my point, lost, lost my train of thought. And I, I would say even when you get like a Sartre or someone who says, "We have great freedom, but with it comes great responsibility," because in essence, you're going to imbue your universe with meaning. That's still saying you're me- you're meant for something more, right? You're you're way responsible for this. That this is not a cop out, um, and you could you could get more on Heidegger on this, but I would say he's probably somewhat similar in that vein uh, that's not a cap out of well nothing matters and you should just you know sit on your couch and eat pizza and watch Netflix Th- that's still a, a very weighty thing is that fair to say or no yeah I think so and actually I, I remembered what I was going to say before is that you know Mike was comparing us to animals in general and one of the things I mean we often have I mean, Aristotle defines humans as um, rational animals. So that, yep. that reason is the thing that distinguishes us. And I think that there, you could make the argument that reason is exactly the problem. This is what gives us this sense of, hey, we, could, we, sh- we should do more. We are made for more, um, that there's something lacking. And you could also make the argument then that in the fall, that's exactly what we lost, the, the, the fullness of our reason that our properly aligned you know, rational faculties, um, they, uh, that that became misaligned. So that gift that that God uses to separate us from the rest of, of his creation is exactly what we, you know, it gets makes us sense. in trouble. Yeah. And it would make sense that this is what we yeah. use. I mean, this is why, you know, ants don't seem to have a great fall story, right? I mean, they don't have that rational faculty that allows them that. that they've and, told us about it. Yeah, exactly. I, I think in one last point with this, I think it's interesting. And some of these things we'll get to that, but even in philosophy as well, we see the recognition that either the problem or the solution is the will. Right, so, so with a Nietzsche, the will of the great person, the Uberman, should not be held back, right? Mm-hmm. You need to assert your will. 
This is why he doesn't have much patience with Christianity. It wants to extirpate the will. It says desire is bad. But you have others. You have like a Thomas Hobbes who says, you know, if you leave people to their will and they're driven by fear and psychological egoism, we're going to have a huge mess, right? We need a social contract. We need a strong ruler. We need some sort of a order to keep things going. But I think there's a recognition in various religions as well, too, um, that either appeals to the will, and even within Christianity, there's groups that make a strong appeal to the will, um, and others that say the will's the problem. So you can have, like a Buddhism, for instance, that your desires are going to cause suffering. Um, and I would, uh, the Stoics, Epictetus, others are going to be in this vein somewhat, too, of be really careful what you desire because it could cause suffering. So you desire to love your family, that's great, but they're going to die. Um, and so if you're too attached, that's going to cause suffering. But anything either of you are um, with the will in connection, because this is going to factor in a lot too. So original sin, we've talked about, we recognize there's a lack of something, we should have something more. But I think this problem of the will, if you can read Genesis 3 and not see that the will is a problem um, after the fall, uh, and really it's the will that brings the fall about, by the way, too, uh, that I think the broader culture goes back and forth on this too. I mean, there's plenty of people who are non-Christians who have really questioned the extent to which our will is free. Yeah, just a little bit of a tangent. You mentioned Hobbes and like the state of nature and how it's terrible and, and awful if we leave, if we let people go this route. Yeah, it's like it's the mean girls cafeteria scene. It is, yeah, exactly. That's good. Um, no, but the other side was, we see, we always use the uh, Lord of the Flies, but you know, I guess mean girls. With Piggy with his glasses, yep. yeah, that's great. <laughs> um, no, but the, the other side of it then, uh, uh, roughly a contemporary, I think that they overlap, um, Rousseau, yeah, they got overlap. Um, he's, he says the state of nature, that, that man is tranquil, that he's independent, he's you know, alone and just kind of wanders through life, and that it's when we start building fences and you know, that creates, like we say, this is mine, that all of a sudden we start having problems. Now, those are kind of, in their own rights, origin stories, right? Um, yeah. where, and there's, there's truth to both of them to some extent. Yeah, no, and that's, I guess is what I'm saying, like, this is the question, right? What is it like before, before we are right here? How do we get here? Um, and uh, that's what, you know, as you, we started off with, you know, Genesis and, and the anthropology of Genesis. Genesis is giving us an account of this, and it's a, it's a question that, that has rung throughout the history of humanity. And I would say all of our listeners, if they're honest, have encountered this on their own personal existential level of... Uh, where they've realized there has to be something more than where they're at at life. This could be a midlife crisis. This could be middle school, um, where they have had times where they thought, if I just will myself to this, everything will be better. And then times where they've sat and thought, man, my will really got me into trouble on this one. Uh, our proclivity to latch on to things for meaning. Um, this, this is, um, in a good way, this is why we love stories as human beings. This is what makes stories so powerful. Um, I don't think anyone really believes there's a talking lion in a wardrobe. Um, but we like the thought of it because it speaks truth to something about us. Um, even many uh, movies without Christian themes can really speak to us because they hit on these issues, these tensions. And so um, I think obviously there's going to be two episodes at this point. <laughs> but, um, but I think we have to understand that problem to then get at the approaches that people take. And this list is by no means exhaustive, but maybe if I'll just go through what I have... <coughs> that I've included in the PowerPoints, and we can take them one by one. And this, if this is two episodes or three or whatever, I think that's fine. Um, but I have first uh, um, asceticism or self-denial, right? I'm going to de deny myself things. Um, and then secondly, uh, I'm going to do extra things, so super irrigation. 
um, think of monasticism as it's developed in many religions or things like that. Of I'm going to go beyond the ordinary. Um, we have then the next slide. I have Tetzel with indulgences, but the notion of transactional law relationship with God. We're going to bargain with Him. This could be Molech. Um, I mean, the, the, uh, it could be the Aztec sacrifices. Um, it could be country music theology. If I put a five dollar bill in the plate, did you see that, Pastor? Um, this could be when we're at the free throw line, you know, um, shooting baskets by ourselves, and we say, God, if I make this basket, please do this for me. This can be, I'll never ask for anything again if, on this idea of bargaining or transactional theology. Um, next, I have uh, a picture of Karl Marx, and um, I think Karl Marx and Soren Kierkegaard have two things in common, and that they're both very good diagnosticians. They recognize the problems. Uh, I don't subscribe to their solutions entirely for either of them. Um, Kierkegaard, I certainly do more than Marx, um, but uh, right, Marx recognized a lot of real legitimate issues in, in his day, and I would say in ours too. Um, but under this, I have politics or economics or utopian idealism. The idea if we just pass this law or have this movement or do this thing, we'll essentially have our heaven here. Um, then I have a kind of people marching. It looks like they're kind of giving a Hitler salutes with the flag of nationalism. And there I have identity movements or when we're going we're gonna to be righteous by being in the right group. That could be ethnic. Um, that could be ideological. That could be class, economic. Um, next, I have technology, this whole notion in our own day of, a of AI um, or technological immorality or immortality. I'm going to upload my consciousness um, that we're going to cure death, right? These kind of utopian hopes we can have there. Um, then I have after that social justice. And that's just kind of a, a, a term we use now. And that's not always bad, right? I'm against racism. I think Mike and Peter are against racism. Feel free to give a nod. Peter's nodding. Mike's, oh, Mike did nod now. He didn't want to get labeled. Um, these can be good causes, but notice they can also really become how I try to find my righteousness. And this is why um, there will be no end of uh, um, attempts to extend our rights or to find a new cause um, if we locate our righteousness in that. It's why a lot of churches that have attached themselves um, almost singularly to social movements have faded once they've achieved that goal. We see that with abolitionists, for instance. Um, I'm very anti-slavery. I'm guessing you two are anti-slavery. But kind of with abolition, um, right, the Quakers kind of fell off. They made that a big issue, and, and there's not as many Quakers as there used to be. Um, and then finally, we'll get to sin and grace and justification. But uh, You forgot self-help. Oh, and then finally, yeah, the very American way, yeah. self-help. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Um, you know, Oprah, Dr. Phil theology, uh, and, and the will comes in very powerfully here that I'm going to will myself to a, a better way and a better day. Um, so maybe as we go through them, unless you guys have anything big picture, we could take up self-denial or asceticism first, but, but anything big picture you guys have before we jump into? No, I think we can go ahead. They'll come up in the yeah in each one. All right, well then maybe just self-denial I have first and... and um, this is one that in and of itself can be good. Some of you who are listening, even you Lutherans, um, maybe have the Lenten practice of giving something up for Lent. That can be very helpful. Um, Luther says in the small catechism that fasting can be good. Um, if someone struggles with addiction, it's good that they give something up, right? If you're um, addicted to gambling, probably giving up the casino is good. 
Um, if you're addicted to heroin, stop going to whatever store is <laughs> selling it. Um, the alcoholic uh, does well to give up alcohol. But uh, the danger in here can be that we assume that we call good evil. We assume that the problem is God's good gift um, and not our own will or our own self. And so the risk we run with asceticism and uh, self-denial as a primary route in our relationship with God is that we can undermine the goodness of creation, right? If I have a problem with addiction, um, the problem is that I have, I have turned God's good gift to evil purposes. And here I think C.S. Lewis is um, helpful. And I think you said, Peter, episode 45 mm-hmm. is where we talk about the four loves and that could be helpful to listen to. But he talks about two types of pleasure. There's need pleasure and there's pleasure of appreciation. A need pleasure is I'm really thirsty. I need some water. I drink some water. That water, cold water, it, it's the best water I've ever had maybe. You know, I've been out for some, by mistake, I did cardio. <clears throat> that's a hot day. Um, and that is that is a pleasure. Or you're hungry, and even though it might not be the best meal as far as how it tastes you've ever had, that meal tastes really good because you're, you're hungry. Um, that's a need pleasure. And then there's pleasure of appreciation. And Lewis talks about the painting that even if you were the last person on earth, you wouldn't destroy it because it just should exist. Or he says a good glass of a, a port, and I think that's wine, right? <laughs> um, and uh, you know that um, even if you were the last person left, that you wouldn't, or let's say there's a couple people left after, you wouldn't want them just to swill it. Um, it's something that deserves to be appreciated. Well, what happens is that um, I, as a sinner, can turn a pleasure of appreciation into an addiction, right? I can become an alcoholic, and now I lose my taste buds. I don't even taste that port, that wine anymore. <clears throat> I just need it. Um, and so we can look at that as human beings and say, see, the problem is all these things. That food can lead to gluttony, so food must be bad. Drink can lead to drunkenness, so, so drink must be bad. Um, if you want to talk about history of Christianity, um, sex can... Uh, can lead to sexual immorality. So sex must be mad. And, you know, welcome to the Middle Ages. And we can undermine these good gifts. And in many ways, the Reformation was saying, no, these things are all good. Um, The marriage relationship is a gift. Food is a gift. Drink is a gift. And and so self-denial can, in my view, um, undermine uh, the goodness of those gifts. And we just recorded on the Heidelberg Disputation. I think that was my favorite winging it session we've done so far, Mike. Um, and I think that's part of what Luther's talking about when he says a theologian of the of glory calls good evil and evil good, right? The problem can't be me. But maybe any thoughts either of you have on self-denial? I mean, we see this impulse. It's in Buddhism. It's in Stoicism. It's in Christian um, monasticism. It's all over the place. Um, any thoughts you have with that? I, I think there's an underlying arrogance there. It, it just couldn't be my problem, right? It couldn't be me. And I, I think this relates also to all gifts that God has given us, not just physical. But so we talked about, you know, reason, will. It's not like the reason, like the gift of reason's bad. And there are, there are all, though, people who have said, right, reason's the problem. We need to become <laughs> primarily emotional. Right. No, mm-hmm. I, we're the problem, right? We're the problem. And that you brought up emotion, too. Um, you know, we should be able to judge our use of reason then on an objective in an objective way and even our emotions in an objective way. I'm not saying that people have to mourn the same way. I'm not talking about that, but, um, you know, our, 
there are right emotions and there are wrong I emotions. I saw Gabe laugh at a funeral once. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, but the underlying issue, and I don't know if you can direct it, take make a direct line to Platonism or Gnosticism, but the idea that the soul and the spirit is good, it's just that because we're embodied, that's where we get into trouble. And you're very close to saying, if not outright saying, I'm not bad. It's this world. Matter is bad. The stuff is yeah, bad. Yeah, the bads, you know. And we can, you can see where you could cherry pick um, passages from the Bible, right? The world's the enemy. The world's the problem. The world, well, not the world as in itself. It's just this sinful world, right? In the same way, my reason's not the problem. I'm the problem. Science is not the problem. It's the misuse of science, right? right? All of those things. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's exactly right is that we're it's how are we going to try to justify ourselves and we're looking inside of ourselves and i mean as christians we'd say well you're, you're looking in the wrong place you're never going to find it and this is i think one of our favorite ways to go because i'm actually denying myself the things that i want self-denial is just i mean it makes you feel so good about yourself i mean the righteousness just wells up and it kind of right. eats itself and, right? it, and it works for a while which is why jesus says it's not the stuff that goes in your mouth it's the stuff that comes out of it. It's it's the heart that is the problem. Yeah. No, and I just think it I mean, the way that the way that you can become confident in your own actions then and how it just I mean it, it it's just such an easy way in a in a sense. I mean, it seems weird to say that self denial is easy, but in a way it's it's really easy way to make yourself feel like I'm doing it now, right? Yeah. Um and it turns back to one of one of the my soapbox is it turns back to we just we just look at everyone else compare ourselves and say i'm not as bad as him i'm not as bad as him this is why i podcast with wade because i can always say i'm not as bad as wade but and i mean like in basketball michigan state can say they're not as bad as michigan that's right (laughs) no but honestly this is i think it's just one of the one of the easiest ways we lie to ourselves about um about the, the the true situation that we are in um and the 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 dire nature of our situation because if i can look around and say you know, he's terrible, she's terrible, or even I'm just not quite that bad. Um, It just, it makes me feel really good about myself when we miss that whole initial um, origin story, um, the anthropology of of Genesis 1. Or hope in myself, like next week, next year I'm going to get my act together. It's a false hope. Like Monday, like Monday. (laughs) It's a false hope, right? It's, It's always a false hope because it doesn't understand the total depravity of man. And so the theology of the cross, which can be criticized as being so negative, is actually the most optimistic because it's not going to pretend like all is right. And I think uh, to pick pick up on something Peter said too, all of these I think we'll see become uh, easily comparative and they become categorizations of people. We're the people that don't have coffee. Or, you know, we're the people that don't marry. Um, and it becomes a righteousness in comparison and and not actually a, a self-fulfillment. Um, and even in its desire to add something, to get our original righteousness back by not having something, um, in the end, it fails to address the, ex- the internal problem, right? That I can make the external world bad, um, this is where the, the Desert Fathers are extremely helpful. If you read the sayings of the Desert Fathers, they go out into the wilderness. I'm going to live by myself to get away from the sinful world, to get away from the B-team Christians. And then you read their sayings and they say, uh, I brought sin with me. <clears throat> right? 
it's it's still there and and you read many of these accounts um david brocky has a really good book on this but they actually get to where they start to externalize um their temptations you know the demon of this came to me and i'm not saying there's no demons right but that actually becomes a step to try to process it as something external to me, right? I'm going to mm-hmm. wrestle with this. And I think self-denial really shows the natural human proclivity to put the problem outside myself, if that makes sense. Anything on that, or should we at least get to the second one? Well, I think that goes right into you know works, right? Uh, instead of taking something away, I'm going to add something to the equation, which is my good deeds. And you have the word there, supererogation, right? Uh, this is higher works, right? Works that go above and beyond. Um, so pick it up where, what, you, what you meant by that. Well, right? I'm going to leave it up to Peter here. Peter, do you think we're better picking this up with a second episode, leaving off here? Yeah, I think, I think, we're, I think we definitely have a second episode anyway. So let's, uh, let's just kind of wrap up and maybe tease the, the ending where you get to Long Gospel so we don't leave people completely hanging, but not too much, and then we'll come back with the, with the yeah, and, uh, second so, or third. Um, just to maybe get the Let the Bird Fly portion going, um, we will get to at the end sin and grace and then justification that it is forensic. It is something that God is going to speak to me that is not dependent upon myself, but it's accomplished in Christ. Um, we can see with self-denial, um, one of the themes of the podcast, what God actually does is declares us good in Christ, right? He says we are now his children. And then the subtitle of the podcast, he will give our world back to us to be enjoyed for what it is. And I think that's maybe if I can close off with one observation, is what C.S. Lewis is getting at with how we can corrupt the pleasures of appreciation too is God in so doing addresses how we we turn all these good things into idolatry or we can turn even the denial of these good things to ourselves into idolatry. So my God really becomes my self-denial, right? My power of will becomes my God. And so what God does in place of that is gives us a God who is a God who hung on the cross um, who is outside of ourselves, who then meets that ultimate need. Um, and I don't know if you guys want to unpack that at all here. Um, I don't know if you got to take off, but I'm okay with recording a second one after this if, as we build on it. But anything that maybe, as Peter said, give our listeners a little bit of hope um, before we, we log off. Yeah, well, just to just to reiterate what the what this presentation is, is trying to do is you're, you're saying uh, long gospel, a lens for life. And we look through this, through the lens and we see all of these different ways that we use the law to try and justify ourselves. And this is always, we are always coming up short and hence many, many different ways of doing it. Um, But when we, when we, give it up, right? When we put our hands up and say, I can't do it, that's the moment where the gospel comes flooding in. And what what is saying Heidelberg Disputation, it's already done for us, yeah. right? Um, that That's the message. And when we realize that it's done for us, then we're, you know, we're freed to, and we, we realize the whole the whole world is is given back to us in that way. Yeah, so. No one walks through a grave, a cemetery, and says, uh, did you know that guy never had a cheeseburger? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we mark our tombs as Christians with crosses for a reason, and that's the, the, the final hope that we have. Um, I guess with that, why don't we, we'll pick this up in the next episode. Um, but in the meanwhile, in that confidence, as Peter just hit on, I encourage you to let the bird fly. Uh, every evening when the sun goes down, get with my party and I begin to cry. I don't care what the people are thinking. I'm not drunk, I'm just a janky. I say I'm up. Another round, I'll set him up. Another round, I'll set him up. Another round.
get me down.